Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... consider God supremely precious? Do we consider Jesus and the Spirit of God supremely precious? God's heart burns for His glory. Why do we worship God? Because it's right. Someone who was perfect, holy, without sin, without error, and He burns for jealousy for His glory, for His Son's glory. He burns with love for His people. Life can seem to be very complex at times, can't it? Sometimes even our faith seems complex. Today, Pastor Jim will explain how the Bible encourages a simple faith in a powerful Savior. With that in mind, here's Pastor Jim in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 11 with part one of his message entitled, A Return to Simplicity. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 3 again, But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Well, I don't know about you, but I am often amazed how easy it is for me and for others that I know to get distracted with something. How easy it is to have my mind going in a certain direction and ending up way off course. It's easy to chase after things that are a waste of time, isn't it? It's easy to chase things that complicate our lives even more complicated than they already are. And sometimes when we chase things, we find out after a while that what we have been chasing is just plain off. And in the Christian life, we have to be very, very careful of that. We have to be focused on what we just read in verse 3, which the apostle calls the simplicity that is in Christ. And so our message today is a return to simplicity. The Corinthian church was one of those churches that thought they were completely on target, and when you read First and Second Corinthians, you think, although they thought they were on target, they were not on target. They had all kinds of problems. The church was in southern Greece, a very immoral area. And we've come to know in Second Corinthians that they are chasing what I would call Bible-in-hand false teachers, guys who use the Bible, say they believe the Bible, but they're just a little bit off, enough that God would say that they are leading God's people astray. And now in 2 Corinthians chapters 10 through 13, the Apostle Paul is on the attack. Let's call it guns a-blazing, like a father or like a, a mother, you know, a bear cub, mama bear cub, when somebody comes into the cave. I don't think so. Now, it seems these false teachers, we've been calling them interlopers, these people who are confusing the people, and now some of the critics in the Corinthian church who have started to follow them have accused the apostle Paul, their founder, of being a fool. He's off planting other churches. Oh, he doesn't really care about you. He's just a fool. We, you know, we know a lot more about God. We know how to talk to Greeks better than he does. We, you know, all this kinds of stuff. And some followed these people, but their spiritual father, the founder of their church, the Apostle Paul, is going to call them back to the Lord. Look at verse 1 of chapter 11. He says, 
oh. No, that's not what he says. We go, oh. <laughs> in the Bible, it's oh. And here it's an oh of, of disappointment and sadness. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. Remember, we said that 2 Corinthians is dripping with sarcasm. So they've called him a fool. He says, okay, I'm going to be a fool. And indeed, you do bear with me. So with a sense of urgency, their brokenhearted father speaks to his gullible children. It's a time for a sober evaluation about what is going on in the Corinthian church. And like a young woman's heart who has been stolen by some charmer and doesn't want to hear it, some of us know what that's about, he says, I ask you to please bear with me. And what do desperate situations often demand? Desperate measures. And so the Apostle Paul doesn't like to defend himself, but he is in this case. He doesn't like to adapt himself to these other false teachers, uh, but he is. He's going to do it in this case. And so he says to them, I know that I might seem like a fool to you, but I'm begging with you. Please listen to me. So if you're taking notes today, three things that the Corinthian church must see, and by extension, the all Bible readers must consider, one positive and two negative. The first one, he says, you have been betrothed. You have been betrothed. Look at verse 2. For, sometimes that means in the Bible, because, for I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for, or again, because, I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Now, betrothal is something that is completely alien to our culture. You know, in our culture, basically, people meet, they live together, and uh, if it works out and they don't kill each other, uh, sometimes they get married. They, they call it an engagement, so they have time for everybody to get ready and plan the date, etc., etc. That's not the way Christians are supposed to do it. But in betrothal, a father pledges his daughter to a man for marriage. And that, the betrothal was legally binding. The only way you could break it would be a formal divorce or death. And then for a period of time, usually about a year, the father would be responsible for the daughter's purity. He would be responsible for the daughter's virginity. I don't know what he did in the days before shotguns, but somehow I guess he had a sword or something like that, and he would keep that guy away. And what would the man do? He would depart and he would go and get things ready. He would go and he would get the home ready. Some of you ladies are like, I like the sound of that. Of course, I'd have to redecorate everything. <laughs> you know, you hung those curtains. I was just seeing if the hooks work, babe. Don't worry about that. I would never hang those curtains. All right, take the steel or curtains down. <laughs> we're not going to have that anymore. Now, the Old Testament often pictures God as the lover, as the husband, and the people of God as the betrothed. And quite often in the Old Testament, in the Bible, New Testament even today, the people of God are unfaithful to the one that they are betrothed to. Now, the New Testament carries the same idea. It calls the church the bride of Christ. And what's happening is that these false teachers are coming in and, and some of the people now in the Corinthian church who have come alongside these false teachers and they're coming in and they're trying to take the bride away from the betrothed. And so what's the Corinthian church doing? They're starting to flirt. 
They're starting to bat their eyes and say, well, you know, maybe we can see how close we can get and some will, will buy it full on. So what are they luring the Corinthian church with? Basically, as we're going to see in today's passage, poor theology. They have a theology. They'll, again, they'll carry their Bibles. They'll tell you they're all about Jesus. They'll use his name a lot. But something is just slightly off. And it's interesting. The Apostle Paul, let's call him Pastor Paul. He was their pastor. Pastor Paul takes responsibility for the Corinthian church. Just like the father takes responsibility for the bride-to-be, he takes responsibility for the Corinthian church until the husband returns for his bride. You say, is there a picture of that? To me, my favorite picture, or the best picture of that, is John 14, verses 2 and 3. The night before his crucifixion, Jesus says this, In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. I'm the groom. You are the bride, the church. I'm going where? I'm going away for a period of time to prepare a place to you. So whose job is it to keep the purity of the church until the groom returns? It's ours. It's ours. Verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Why? That where I am, there you may be also. So the bride can come home to heaven to be with the groom. Now, how different the Apostle Paul's teaching is than modern evangelism. Modern evangelism in our day and age goes something like this. Pray a prayer, invite Jesus into your heart, and be on your way. See you in heaven, right? And then when people don't walk with Jesus, they're committing spiritual adultery. If they are even one of God's people, we want to just say, well, I guess they're backslidden. I guess it doesn't really matter, and, uh, but, but God's going to forgive everything we do anyway. How do we know that they've been betrothed? You would expect a certain level of excitement in the betrothal. If you've ever been engaged, you know that's the way it goes. No matter what, you want to talk about your engagement. You go to the dentist. So you have a toothache. Yes, but I'm engaged. <laughs> All is well in my camp. And so how would that be for someone who prays a prayer to be betrothed to the Lord and not be excited about what's going on? Apostle Paul, as a Bible writer, as a pastor, as a brother in Christ who all of us sees the word of God and the role of the word of God in keeping the purity of the church until the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so what does this tell us about the purity of the church? It tells us it's important to the Lord, right? When he's constantly saying that we are an adulterous people in the Old Testament, when he's calling us to a purity of the way in which we think about the Lord and the way we live our lives, it's very, very important to the Lord. And again, it is the duty of the church, not the building, the people of God. It is the duty of the people of God to try to maintain purity in the church, to continue to proclaim the gospel. Acts 20, the Apostle Paul said to the Ephesian elders, I did not neglect to declare to you the whole counsel of God, not just the parts you like, not just the parts I like. All of it, even if people don't want to hear it, all of it, and Jesus said, what are we supposed to do with the word of God? Well, his parting instructions were to make disciples. And the Apostle Paul would say, we are to keep the focus on Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's the one husband. He's the one husband. So ladies, next time you're 
husband comes to you and says, well, you know, I could have multiple wives. You say, no, one husband, one wife. There it is. One husband. Some of you want another one, I understand. It's another subject for another day. So the Apostle Paul says to the flirting church, if you're not careful, and if you're not already, soon you will be an unfaithful bride. And he says to them, I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. He has a righteous jealousy, not human jealousy. That's something very, very different. Human jealousy is often based on resentment, often based on power, often based on envy, often based on uh, unhealthy fear. And even when it's in regards to sin, it's very hard to be pure, isn't it? It's hard to be jealous for what it says about God when there's some problem going on. Godly jealousy is motivated by love for God. It mourns when God is not esteemed. Godly jealousy mourns when God's people wander. Godly jealousy mourns when God's people are not loyal to him. As we've said many times before, when they get identity amnesia, when they forget who they are in Jesus Christ, that their Savior died on the cross in their place for their sins, and they begin to live as if it never made any difference at all. And so the Apostle Paul, he loves the Corinthian church, but at the same time, he is deeply concerned He's fearful in a healthy way of their infidelity with a godly jealousy. And you know that jealousy is actually a trait of God. Godly jealousy is actually a trait of God. It explains Jesus overturning the tables in the temple. And he says, my father's house is to be a house of prayer. Some of you may say, I'm not so sure I'm sold on that. We'll just take a couple examples. Exodus 20, verse 4 and 5, the second of Ten Commandments. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. So don't make statues, don't make carvings, and don't bow down to them. Why? For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Interesting. He says, when you do that, you show me that you hate me. Hate me. Exodus 34, 14. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. So God says, that's actually one of my names. Jealous. J.I. Packer, in one of my favorite books, Knowing God, says this, God's jealousy is not a compound of frustration, envy, and spite, as human jealousy often is, but instead appears as a praiseworthy zeal to preserve something supremely precious. You know, guys, that's why I'm always saying to you how important it is to be on time for church how important it is to maybe get out of the once-a-month cycle for some of us and get into the better cycle of church attendance and coming in and being ready to sing your praises to God, being ready to bring your worship to God, being ready to hear the Word of God, because that is so important. Do we consider God supremely precious? Do we consider Jesus and the Spirit of God supremely precious? God's heart burns for his glory. Why do we worship God? Because it's right. 
someone who was perfect, holy, without sin, without error. And he burns for jealousy for his glory, for his son's glory. He burns with love for his people. He burns for the allegiance of his people. And so does the apostle Paul. And before he goes on, he, it's important that he says to these people, you have to understand your position in God's heart. You have to understand your position in God's mind. You have been betrothed. You belong to him. You have been promised to him. And he is off preparing a wonderful place for you. And in the meantime, we can't be thinking, well, he's far away. He hasn't come back yet. Maybe he's delayed in coming. And then live an unfaithful lifestyle to our Savior. Number two, he says to them in calling them to return, they've been betrothed. He says to them, you must see you have been deceived. You have been deceived. Now, our sermons, even when we did the Song of Solomon, are PG-13. <laughs> They're really PG, but Song of Solomon put the 13 in there just reading it. It really probably should say, our outline should say, you have been seduced. You have been seduced. Some already deceived and seduced, some on their way. Verse 3, he says, but I fear lest somehow, look at this here, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds, remember we said last week that the battle is for the mind, the wall and the stronghold. Forget about that stuff being the devil. The stronghold is the battle in our mind that needs to be torn down so your minds may be corrupted. That word in the ancient world meant seduced. So your minds might be seduced from the simplicity that is in Christ. Someone is coming with something really fancy to the Corinthian church. The Apostle Paul says we got to keep it simple. It's about Jesus Christ and him crucified, which is what he said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians. And he says, someone's coming along. They're trying to seduce you. They're trying to get you to maybe look at things in a little bit of a different way that takes the attention away from Jesus Christ and him crucified, takes the attention away from the cross and puts the attention onto something else. Your minds can be corrupted. Your minds can be seduced, he tells them, from the simplicity that has in Christ. Other versions put it this way, from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That's what's on the table here. That's what's really, if you will, this is the heart of 2 Corinthians. This is what is on the table. Verse 4, for if he who comes preaches another Jesus, remember, these guys have Bibles. They're using Bible verses. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, what does that tell us? The Bible is the standard. Remember, the apostle Paul preached the word of the Lord he was God's messenger. He was God's representative. He was God's ambassador. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. So when we read the Bible, it is as if God is speaking to us. So another Jesus other than what he preached is off. 
The Bible, that's one of the reasons why we go through the Bible verse by verse, because it's a lot easier to be on instead of being off when you're just preaching the word. Or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received. So if you receive a different Jesus, what are you going to receive? A different spirit. Of course you are. Or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. But what does that mean? You let them into your church, he's saying. I went away. I went to preach in other places. I went to plant churches. He, remember, the Apostle Paul was a pastor, but he was a Bible writer. But he was also a missionary, a church planter. And he says, while I'm away, you let these hucksters, you let these jokers into your pulpits. And not only that, you believe them. You believe them. Now, I don't know about you, but I personally find it terrifying. Really, I'm not exaggerating. Terrifying that people could sit under the Apostle Paul's teaching and still be deceived. That they could sit under the greatest theologian outside of Jesus the world has ever known and be seduced by the doctrine of some imposter. That any of us could be like Eve, living and walking with God, yet another theology could come along and seduce us away from the Lord. Notice the word he uses. He says, craftiness, craftiness. So what does that tell us? It's subtle. And see, that's the danger of error. Error comes in and it doesn't just, you know, remember these are not some atheists that had come into their church. These are false teachers. Error sounds enough like truth to make it believable. That's the problem. It's just a little tweak of the truth. It's just a little bit of a different emphasis. You say, well, how serious could that be, Pastor Jim? You get up in arms about all this stuff all the time. You know, what's the deal? How serious with that? He compares it to the fall. He compares it to losing the presence of God by buying into this stuff. Eve's problem was a devotion problem. When she heard from the serpent, did God really say I mean, Evie, you sure you heard him right? Let's take your theology just a step further. Forget about what the word of God, forget about what he said. I want to just, you know, flesh it out just a little bit. Is that really what he said? And Eve went, no, I, I guess you're right, he didn't. I don't think Eve was totally rebellious. I think Eve was just deceived. She was just seduced. What about Adam. Well, Adam was a good husband. He did whatever his wife said, so he went along for the ride, right? Yeah, they were just deceived. The Corinthian church isn't seeing how easy it is to be deceived by religious talk. And perhaps that's because religious talk takes so many different forms. One thing that's characteristic about it, this religious-type talk, this spirituality, is rarely shaped by the cross of Christ. It's rarely shaped by the cross-centered life. Remember the Corinthian church, they wanted the benefits of the cross. Well, Jesus suffered, we shouldn't have to suffer. And if you have enough faith, you wouldn't have to suffer either. Does that sound a little bit familiar to you? You know, just recycled old lies that seem to rise up in the church periodically. You see, such religious talk tends to lack the beauty of Jesus Christ. 
It tends to lack the splendor of Jesus Christ. Rarely does it tell us to look at the cross and to stand in awe of the crucified King and what he has done on our behalf for his betrothed. And this religious talk is often full of substitute saviors, even really good things. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining us on today's edition of Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Dover, New Jersey. Would you like to hear this message again? Simply log on to our website, www.changedbyloveradio.com. There, you can listen to archive broadcasts, load our mobile app, as well as listen to Pastor Jim's easy-to-follow, verse-by-verse teaching on much of the Bible. You can also request a CD of this message in its original, unedited form on our website. If you would prefer to write to us, our address is Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. That's Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Or you can give us a call at 973-659-3380. Once again, that's 973-659-3380. Changed by Love is sponsored by listeners like you. We are so thankful for your continued support and prayers that allow us to bring our show to you on this station. Make sure you tell your friends and family about Changed by Love on this station, as well as how to listen to Pastor Jim on our website and mobile app. In the next edition of Changed by Love, Pastor Jim will continue teaching through God's Word. Glance at the clock right now, and please make plans to join us next time to be encouraged, comforted, and challenged by the Word of God. You are all a blessing to us. We hope to see you next time here on Changed by Love.